How many times do we let our failures dictate who we are? God is producing something in you and me, and we maybe don't feel it, we don't see it, and we may feel disqualified by our failure of obeying God in one season, but if we would give God our failure right now, God will qualify us in this season to convey the very message that everyone around us needs. People need to know that God is merciful, kind, gracious. Welcome to this edition of Ignite Global Radio with Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben is the lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Have you ever felt like you're beyond hope due to a past failure in your life? Well, you're not alone. Today's sermon, A Message and a Messenger, is a great lesson on how God takes our weaknesses and failures and actually makes them part of His message of hope and deliverance for others. All it takes is a few good, humble choices. To learn more about Ignite Global Radio, head over to our website, igniteglobalradio.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our podcast and check out the two books Pastor Ben has written, Prophesy, Releasing God's Voice, and Hearing God. Now here he is with the fifth part in his new series, Jonah, Running from the Heart of God, A Message and a Messenger. Let's go ahead and read Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days' walk. And Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. It means in forty days... Nineveh will be overthrown. So just be very clear about what he's saying, that judgment is coming in 40 days. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, Do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. The entire kingdom had to fast, even the animals. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let man call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which was in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish." When God saw their deeds, okay, that's an important piece right there. When God saw what they had done, not just the intention of their heart, not just the belief in their head, but when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity with which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, that's all of chapter 3 right there, and we see a whole lot about what happens in just such a short amount of time. What I want to do for a few moments is bring us back into some context for Jonah chapter 3, because not only do we need to be reminded, but it helps to set up what is actually happening here so that we can understand the response that we see in the people of Nineveh. Jonah's visit to the Assyrian Empire is 
is in the middle of some turmoil and some trouble that they had been experiencing. Now, one of the issues that they had was the current king was not really in control of the Assyrian Empire. Basically, they had divvied up the land and the regions into hands of officials. We might call them governors. That's how we might relate to that today. We have a president, and then we have governors over each state. Well, the region that the Assyrian Empire previously controlled had various officials over all of these regions. None of them at this time were working together. They were not unified. It was almost like they were leading many kingdoms. There was a time where the Assyrian Empire was all together, and they were extending and expanding their borders, and Israel was deeply affected by this. And we read about it in 1st, 2nd Kings, where Jonah himself prophesies against the Assyrian Empire. So he had skin in the game. He was not interested in preaching to the Ninevites because they were part of Assyria. And he, he knew what they were capable of. He knew their past. And he didn't want to have anything to do with their future of having hope or God's mercy poured out on them. He just wanted judgment for them. And so they're literally in this time, the Assyrian Empire, of social unrest, of division, of turmoil. There are many plagues that they had been experiencing, and not to mention a couple years of famine and starvation. So we're talking about a political instability where they, were, they had weakness on every side. So in sort of a military sense, if someone were to attack them, they basically would not be able to defend themselves like the empire that they once were. Now, the city of Nineveh is about eight miles in circumference, just the city itself. And in Jonah chapter 4, it talks about there are about 120,000 people. Scholars say that the greater region of Nineveh, sort of like we would say the greater Puget Sound region, the greater region of Nineveh could have been more like 60 miles, and there was about 600,000 people within those borders. But the city itself that this is referencing and talking about probably had about the same number of people that the city of Federal Way has, actually. And there are historical records that show us the difficulties that, are faced, that they're facing during this time. And you can just see that the ingredients are all there for this people to turn or for them to completely fail. Their demise is unfolding right in front of them with all that they're facing. But also, we have already learned that this can be the time for people to truly turn, right? In the middle of all of these things that are happening, the calamity, the difficulty, the problems, the chaos, the starvation, we know that this can be the recipe for God bringing about revival and a really a serious movement that we're reading about right here. It's fair to say that Jonah hated them because he knew about their past. Now, I wanted to just mention that uh, Nineveh has been uncovered even in modern day. So it's located in Mosul, Iraq. That's where it is currently right now. And we know that because archaeologists have been able to dig and excavate since the mid-1800s. And one of the things that they uncovered was some of the wall, which is why we know that the city of Nineveh was about eight miles in circumference. And interestingly enough, what we have seen that's been uncovered is one of the palaces in Nineveh that was uncovered. They were able to actually uncover some of the hallways And what they would have was like an artisan that would go through and sculpt through the hallways of this palace, which we have uncovered. You can Google some of the pictures. And on these pictures, just imagine an artist going through the halls of like Northwest Church and sculpting out 
what was happening during the culture of that day that represented the church. Well, that's the same thing. For the Assyrian Empire, this sculptor was putting together all of this art and sculpting all of these hallways with what was typical and normal for the Assyrian Empire. You know what was normal? Violence was normal. And their kind of violence was seriously brutal. Now, they were brilliant in their military tactics because we still study the Assyrian Empire today. We still study their military tactics because they were brilliant. But they weren't only brilliant, they were brutal. And we see in, in those hallways and what's been uncovered and excavated, there are pictures where the Assyrian Empire would go in and conquer a city. And they would have these large poles that they would cut down and they would be very sharp on the top, kind of like a fence post that looked like a spear on the top, and they would impale people on those big fence post poles and they would line them up throughout the city so that people that entered into that city would see the brutality and really just that's the brute force of the Assyrian Empire and it would create this fear. They were very proud, very boastful of their violence. Why am I saying that? Because it's important to realize that God is bringing judgment, a word of judgment against an empire and against a city that has participated for years, for generations in the killing off of city after city. That's how their borders expanded. That's how they got so big because they were killing people. And so when it talks about their repentance, it specifically states their, their idolatry, which is worship of false gods, and it also talks about their violence. And we're going to read about that here in just a moment. Jonah hates them. He does not want to go preach to these people, but Jonah has had, in a sense, a turnaround. He realizes that God has had mercy on him, and so now he needs to go and obey the Lord. But it does not mean that everything that needs to happen inside of Jonah has, always ha has already happened. Now, I think we can relate to that. Because our repentance is not just a one and done. And sometimes people will say, when you read like commentaries on the book of Jonah, they'll say, well, Jonah didn't really repent. No, Jonah didn't fully repent. But that's what repentance is. We repent based on what we know, the conviction that we have. And Jonah repents at the end of chapter one. He repents throughout chapter two. But Jonah is not finished. God still wants to do some deep things inside his messenger. And I think it's really important that we look at it from that angle. Right now, he's ready to obey God, but does that mean that he is carrying God's message with God's compassion? Not necessarily. There's, in one sense, he's obedient, but it does not mean that he's carrying the same heart that we see in Yahweh. But that also helps us to see that as we walk out our calling before the Lord, as we walk with God, God is still doing something inside of us. The message and the messenger are one. It's not just about a message. It's also about a messenger. Now, there's a couple things I just want to share with you from the text and divide it up so we can understand better what is happening in chapter 3. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is that Jonah experienced the message himself. This is what happens first. Verse 1 reads, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now this book hinges on that statement. This is the God that we follow. The God not only of second chances, but many chances. God speaks to Jonah again and says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation with which I am going to tell you. And this is a very special verse 
in my opinion. Because in chapter 1, in the first few verses, God calls Jonah to go and preach against the great city, in chapter th- and he runs from it. But in chapter 3, when God calls him, he actually goes, and there's something that is different this time around. And it seems that there are two things that are happening, and I think this brings out a principle that I want to share with you. What God does in you is directly connected to what God wants to communicate through you. Here we have this storyline where Jonah has been confronted with his indifference, his lack of compassion, his disobedience, and through all that, God has brought him to a place of repentance, and not just merely repenting that he didn't obey God initially, but what was in his heart that caused him to disobey God. See, we've got to understand this. It's not that we just disobey God. It's not just that Jonah disobeyed God. It's that there was something in his heart that caused him to resist what God wanted him to do. And that's what God is getting to. When we read about repentance, when we read about the gratitude in chapter two where Jonah looks up in the belly of the whale in this confinement and he starts to thank God, that's a breakthrough. He starts to see that God would use him, that God would call him, that he actually knows God. He's faced with having to speak to these Ninevites, these pagans, clearly ungodly people. And in that moment, he's like, you've called me to to go and preach against these people, against this city, and I've disobeyed you. And he knows there's this tension, there's something inside of him that needs to get excavated. And so he turns to the Lord in all of that because God is doing something special inside him. And Jonah hasn't even scratched the surface of how far God actually wants to go. And let me just tell you, knowledge is not all that this is about. And sometimes when we think of God using us, we think, well, I've got to know more. And that's the first thing that we think about is intellectual Americans. We tend to think it's all about knowing more and memorizing more. Listen, I'm not putting down knowledge, but I will tell you this. There are a lot of people that know a lot about God, but they don't obey God. Knowing about God, knowing the Bible does not mean that that word has penetrated the heart. It does not mean that that is the character of our life. It does not mean that we look like Jesus. That does not mean that at all. And so God is relentless because he doesn't just want us to know about something. He wants us to actually have what he is about in our lives. He doesn't just want us to preach something to other people that supposedly need what maybe we don't need. God wants us to have a revelation. He wants us to embody that revelation, to live it out, to walk it out. And then he calls us to communicate that revelation. I want to say that again. God is giving us revelation. He calls us to embody that revelation, and then he calls us to communicate that revelation. God is always doing this. The message and the messenger are one. You know what is a beautiful story about Christianity is that whatever we share with other people, it is something that we ourselves have experienced. When we talk about grace, it is because we have experienced the grace of God. When we talk about the faithfulness of God, it is because we have seen him faithful time and time again. When we come and we speak even difficult words, we speak words of judgment or we speak words of warning that are from scripture. When we do that, we realize that even in the hard things, that God does these things because he loves. We know that God does these things because we've experienced his discipline in our lives. 
And this is what we see in Jonah. We see that the lesson of Jonah's failure and forgiveness is that God can continue to use people that return to him. Did you hear that? God can continue to use people that return to him. Yahweh is not just a God of second chances. This is not about just giving Jonah a second chance. It is about transforming his messenger so that he carries a message more appropriately. What if it's not just about failure? It's not just about disobedience. It's not just about running or or resting. It's not just about yielding to God or not yielding to God. What if God uses the entire process of everything that transpires because he wants that message to go so deep inside of us that it flows out like a river? See, I think that what we read about here is that in chapter two and also in chapter one, Jonah had to experience the message that he was gonna carry. But here, listen to this. It doesn't mean that he fully understood it yet. And that's why in chapter four, we're gonna read how far God was willing to go to teach him about his own heart. But isn't this the story of scripture? Isn't this the story again and again and again? We read about Moses murdered a man And God calls Moses to bring freedom to the people of Israel, to his own people. We read about how Peter denied the Lord three times in Jesus' darkest hour. And now Jesus calls him to preach the truth to people. The truth? The same truth that he denied? I mean, this is what God does. God is trying to transform us and failure is a part of that. God factors in our failure, and sometimes we look at our failure as disqualification, but if we give our failure to God, it actually thoroughly qualifies us to be messengers because we've first been recipients. When you're a recipient, you then become qualified, in some ways even more so as the delivery boy or woman of the message that God has called you to convey, and this is powerful. I mean, we live in a world of social media, infomercials, commercials. I know I'm just as annoyed with all of that as you are, but here's what you have. You have some kind of system or program or product that is offered to you or me, and we see it, and and obviously with the videos, it's two-minute video, a 30-second video, and a person's like, this thing changed my life for $2.59. I used to be crazy, horrible, and whatever, and now I'm just happy, joyous, and life is fulfilled. I mean, whatever. You understand what I'm saying. It's almost like this one $2 product has changed my life forever, and if you buy it, the idea is is that your life will also be changed. We live in a world where people are always trying to sell us a product, and it's based off a testimony. It's based off of a testimony. There's all kinds of products today that we are bombarded with, and people are sharing with us and showing us how if you use this, This is what will happen. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? When we encounter mercy, when we encounter grace, when we encounter the God of the Bible as a recipient of all that he does in our lives, we then get to communicate that message with authority and with power and with grace. And it's not just the name of Jesus on our lips, but it's the nature of Jesus in our hearts. He's producing something in us. I want you to hear that. God is producing something in you and me, and we maybe don't feel it, we don't see it, and we may feel disqualified by our failure of obeying God in one season, but if we would give God our failure right now, 
God will qualify us in this season to convey the very message that everyone around us needs. People need to know that God is merciful, kind, gracious. This is who God is. Before we share a message, we experience it ourselves, and therefore, in a sense, we become that very message. Jonah experienced the message. Listen, Jonah also preached the message. And we read about this in verse 3 through 5. God tells Jonah that he will give him the message in verse 1 that he is to preach. Well, what exactly is that message? We read about it in Jonah chapter uh, verse Four, he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. If you read about various commentaries, they'll tell you this is five Hebrew words. This is all God told Jonah to say? I mean, that really is the debate, right? Yet 40 days and, and the city will be overthrown. Five Hebrew words, that's all that Jonah walked throughout the city and said. See, there is a lot of debate in the scholarly arenas, people that are smarter than I am, people that have studied this longer than I have, and there's two different conclusions. Some people say that this is a summary of what Jonah actually said. Maybe Jonah said a whole lot more, which caused the response that we read about. From the king all the way down to the cattle, they repented. Would just this, these five words in Hebrew cause that kind of response? Most people don't think so. Most people just don't think so. And so maybe this is a summary. But there are other people that would say, and I think I'm of this camp, they would say that Jonah withheld the fullness of the message. In other words, Jonah was willing to obey God, but not fully. Jonah was willing to convey the message or the brunt part of the message, which is why it's important that you read the whole book in context because in chapter four, we're gonna see that Jonah was quite upset right in the first few verses. He's not happy that God even allowed repentance, but he also knew that it was gonna happen. And he actually puts it back on God. Well, listen to me. This is what we know when we read this, is that it is very possible that Jonah withheld some of what he was supposed to say. And it seems consistent with his character, doesn't it? Oh, we've already been able to see that Jonah isn't exactly the stand-up prophet that God needs. And so we have a word of judgment, but we know that there's a 40-day contingency here, yet in 40 days. Why 40 days? We don't know. But I think that 40 days gives a period of time where these Ninevites, Assyrians, can actually repent that's what I personally believe about this story. I think that Jonah received mercy. He repented of his sin personally, but he was still battling how to live that out towards others. Jonah was still battling how to live out what he had received, what he had received by revelation, how he would live that out towards others. And I think this is a picture of that. I think that I can prove that because he was mad. Jonah was angry that God would even allow them to repent. He knew God was going to do it, but, and he was now going in obedience, but he wasn't yet ready for what was going to happen afterwards. And we see that very thing from this man. With that said, I want to look a little bit at the message. And we need to remember that Old Testament prophets are not similar to New Testament evangelists. Prophets in the Old Testament, they're just delivering a message. That's all they're doing. 
And we see in the New Testament evangelists deliver good news. They deliver hope. And I would say the clarity of hope because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you cannot necessarily parallel an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament evangelist because of their message is very, very different. And so I think in this picture, what we see is also a picture of Jesus Christ. We see a picture of God's Father's heart towards people, that even pagans, even those that don't know him, even those that are far off from him, clearly not living under the law, clearly not living in the law whatsoever. And here God offers hope and he offers mercy, which is a shadow of what's to come in the fullness of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think, though, that the message that we read about, yet 40 days and the city will be overthrown, I think we I think we come to this point where we have to talk a little bit about judgment. It's just something that I was thinking about as I was studying these verses. You think about in our culture today, we misunderstand judgment entirely. In fact, here's what I hear from agnostics or atheists and sometimes Christians that, in my opinion, are kind of, they're veering off a little bit and they're struggling with the nature of the Old Testament. They're struggling with the nature of the world as it is today. And I believe that good doctrine helps us to understand where we are today. I mean, listen, we have 7 billion people on the planet plus, okay? 7 billion people. You have 7 billion people making decisions. Those decisions affect all, all of us. And with those decisions affecting all of us, we are in a lot of trouble. And we've made that trouble for ourselves. And so what people will often ask is they'll say, if God is a loving God, then why would he bring judgment why would we read in the Old Testament that a loving God, you say, Ben, you say he's a loving God, but if he's so loving, then why does he bring judgment? Why does he tell the Israelites in the book of Joshua to go into the promised land and displace them and kill them all? Why is this somehow a, a picture of a loving God? That's not a loving God, and that's what people will say. They'll say that you cannot say that God is loving and, you, and, and it's consistent with the picture that we have in Scripture. And I think, honestly, and I would argue this, is that you can't actually have love without judgment. And this, for some reason, we forget and we fail to understand. And I'll prove it to you. Let's just say you have children. And you've got one kid, and he just beats up on the other kid repeatedly, day in and day out. Let's say you go through two days of that. Let me ask you a question. Do you intervene at some point? I mean, is there a point at which you have to render a judgment that this, what you're doing is bad, and in order to bring about any sense of justice, you actually have to discipline, you actually have to render a verdict of judgment, and then you have to do something about it? And so we have this idea that if God is a, a loving God, then why would he bring judgment? Well, he brings judgment because he has to. In order for justice to be implemented, somebody's got to judge. And why would it and why should it not be the perfect judge? Now, let me give you a, a really crude example. Now, that's just a simple one. You would say, well, Ben, that's not a great parallel. Fine. Let's just say, and forgive me if your kids are watching or if you're listening to me right now, this is really crude, but this is actually in keeping with the Assyrian Empire and actually many of those that were living in the land of Canaan in the Promised Land when you read through the book of Joshua. You have these people, the Assyrians, and they're killing people. One of the gods that they worship was Molech. They would throw their children under two years of age into the fire as a sacrifice to the god of Molech. Can you imagine something like that? I want you to picture that. It's crude, it's terrible, it's horrible, I'm sorry, but this is history. 
These are the people, and this is what they're doing. In their pagan worship, they are literally murdering their children. So if I were to look out my back window and I were to see my neighbor do something horrific, like in history we read about in the Assyrian Empire, if I were to literally see them do something, some kind of impaling or something crude or horrible or horrific, something crazy, what would you expect me to do? What would I expect you to do? Well, we'd call the police. And we call the police, we expect them to arrest this person, we expect this person to never get out of prison, and some people would even say this person deserves the death penalty. That's the level of justice. Judgment is rendered on a person that did something so horrific, and that literally is what brings solution and solves the future of this person not being able to do that again and again and again. And we would consider that just to call in on somebody that did this to a person and goes to prison or worse for the rest of their life, we would consider that justice. But it's amazing how we don't consider it justice when God does it. See, when God brings about judgment, when he renders that verdict and he actually enacts something of judgment, people will often indict God and they'll say, God is not a loving God who brings about judgment. Actually, I would argue that he is He has to be a judging God. He has to bring about judgment if he's loving. That's what I would argue. I think that we have a misunderstanding of judgment because if God were not to act in judgment, he would be apathetic and that would be unloving. If we were to step back in the scenarios that I just painted for you and we were to say, I'm not gonna do anything, we would actually consider that unloving. And so to read about God sending his messenger to a people that do all of these violent acts, to a people that impale those that they're conquering and all the various cities that they've gone and all the things, the horrible things that they've done, for God to send a messenger to those people and say, 40 days, yet you will be overthrown. And for what, and he, like Sodom and Gomorrah, he rained down hailstones, he did all kinds of things to judge cities, whether it was use another army or to do something supernatural or miraculous to bring about judgment. When we say that God is not loving because of the picture of judgment in the Old Testament, to me, it is a profound misunderstanding of why judgment is actually necessary. And for some reason, we indict God, but we allow it in our own human experience. And it is the duplicitous nature of the human being. It is why we need the righteous judge to come back and take his place. It is why we need Jesus to return with the scepter in his hand and be the judge that he is. No man, woman, nobody is ever going to judge righteously like God. And what we often do is indict the very one that is the only one qualified and capable of rendering perfect and righteous judgment in the earth among those that he's created. Ladies and gentlemen, we are indicting the very one that only is qualified to actually bring about true justice and righteousness in our land. It is a profound pride on behalf of human beings to offer that indictment back to God. I don't know if you see exactly what I'm saying. I'm going way off my notes right now. I'm just trying to explain. It is amazing when I talk to people and how they paint this picture of God, like he's a judging God, he's an angry God. He's a, he is a righteous and holy God. He is a loving God. He could wipe us all off of the planet. He made us and we went our own way. Seven billion people doing what they wanna do. It is a mess. I don't even know how God handles it. I don't know how he does it. What I do know is he sent Jesus to redeem us back. 
And here we have this prophet who comes with a word of judgment and probably withholds any sense of mercy, any sense of repentance. The message that he preaches, he's probably holding back a little bit. And they hear this word of judgment and they did not hear, oh my gosh, we're done. What they hear is maybe we have an opportunity to repent. There must be an anointing that falls upon this people. There must be something supernatural that happened in the hearers, in the ears of those that were listening. There must be something, something that we need today. Ladies and gentlemen, you know it as well as I do. It does not feel like the country like the nations of the earth, like the world is going in a better and better direction. But I would tell you this, there's hope in the midst of it all. And I don't say that to placate you. I see it. I see God doing something marvelous, something wonderful in the midst of it all. And if God brings judgment, I welcome it. I welcome the judgment of the Lord. Why? Because if God needs to bring judgment, it is because he's loving. It is because He is loving, just like parents have to render judgment, just like us as citizens in our world have to render judgment in order to receive justice. God is doing stuff behind the scenes, and I'm not going to stand and indict him. I'm actually going to welcome whatever the righteous judge has got to do in our world. So do it. Amen and amen. We ask for God to move. Whatever brings about the mighty revival that we need. What we read about here is that Jonah preaches the message imperfectly, I believe, as he does. He had just walked through judgment himself. You remember when Jonah walks away, or he he runs away from the Lord and the call of the Lord. And what does God do? He sends a storm. When Jonah enters the boat, he sent a storm. That was a judgment. That was a discipline of the Lord. When Jonah was thrown over over the side of the boat, God brings about this fish to swallow him. That was, in a sense, a discipline. Jonah thought he was going to lose his life. And I believe Jonah got to a point where he was ready to die for the wrong reason. And I believe he was converted, in a sense, changed, changed his attitude. And although he's not fully changed, I believe in this moment, as he goes to preach, I think that he's ready to die, and in his mind, for the right reason. But there's something that God is working behind it all that is just so profound. It's scandalous. It, it, it actually starts to cue up what we believe about grace and what we see in the Lord Jesus. We say things about the God of the Old Testament and we have no clue all that God is doing behind the scenes. You know what I'm saying. We've just got to humble our hearts and think about how high and majestic and holy our God really is and how he is working all things after the counsel of his will. And in choosing not to just wipe out humanity, He is pursuing us. He's going after us. He's giving us message after message. And throughout the uh, the books of the Old Testament, God's people kill his messengers because they don't want to hear what he has to say. They don't want to hear about the judgment that's necessary, the judgment that's coming. And again and again and again, God sends his messengers. And Jonah happens to be one of God's messengers. And he's a messenger that has received judgment himself by God, discipline himself by God. And instead of offering the hope and the deliverance that was on the other side for him, he holds back. He preached the message, and I think he preached it imperfectly. And that's just my view. I see it that way. But something beautiful that happens in the midst of that is that Nineveh responded to the message. In verse 5, it says that the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, yes, there's a little debate over the fact that Jonah may not have talked about God's covenant name, Yahweh, that God did not 
or Jonah did not actually bring up the covenant name of God. And that he, we see here they believe God, which is the word Elohim. And so some say, well, maybe they believed in a God. They, don't, they didn't believe in, in Yahweh. But I think that they believed in Jonah's God. I think that they turned in repentance to the God of Jonah. May, obviously, as pagans, they didn't fully understand that. We know. But I believe it says that they believed in God. And I want to point something out. Their belief had action. It was not just a mental state of being. It was not just something that they thought in their mind. It was they believed in God and, verse 8 and 9, this is what it says when the king gets the whiff of the message. It says, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. It says that they believed and they responded. Their response actually shows faith and belief. And we need to remember this today. Sometimes in American Christianity, people will say they believe in God, but they have no works, they have no faith that is tangible, that shows what it is that they actually believe in following the Lord Jesus. And this is very dangerous. I wrote about this and talked about it in the Daily Word this last week. I talked about how in some circles, and even sometimes when people lead folks into a response towards Jesus, they say to them, well, if you just want to receive Jesus, you just call upon his name and put your faith and trust in him and he'll change your life and transform you, and you can have a personal relationship with him. And that's true. It's actually true that Jesus offers all of us the free gift of eternal life. He bids all of us to come and receive from him. But the real aspect of the message that we're missing, and this isn't all of the gospel, it's a response to the gospel, is repentance. It's repentance. We can't just believe and follow ourselves the way that we follow God, especially as as New Covenant Christians. We follow Jesus because we repent and we put all of our life into his hands. And what we see here in the Ninevites is an example for us. We cannot merely believe in God. We have to believe and we have to follow. And we remember the context of this city. They have a history of violence, presence of idolatry, hatred, strife, famine, starvation, political tension, disunity, revolt. It almost sounds like what is going on in our world today. I feel like Jonah has been prophetic with all that we are facing and going through and up against and experiencing, at least in seed form, maybe not to the degree that they were, but I feel like there's something of a parallel there. Nineveh responded with repentance, and as a result, it says this, when God saw their deeds that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity with which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. When God saw what they did, how they had responded, God made a decision. I'm not going to bring this judgment upon them. God is not about judgment. Judgment is a last resort of a loving God. That's what judgment is. But he will do it because he knows what he's doing. But what he really wants to do is he wants to bring about mercy. But mercy can only be received by those that respond. Let me say that again. Mercy can only be received by those that respond. The fact is, when we preach good news, it comes on the back end of bad news. 
The bad news is that the world is messed up. The bad news is that we continue to screw it up. The good news is that God has a plan in the midst of all of our decisions that have messed it up. And he chose to do something despite and in the middle of what we were doing. We made a mess of this world. And God is not just trying to clean it up. He wants to come to us and offer his own life and transform us from the inside out. He's not just trying to sign up and recruit people to, to deliver his words. He's coming to us to transform us into messengers that carry a message. Those that have been transformed by the very message that they carry to other people. That way you do it with a smile on your face. I don't know that I see a smile on Jonah's face when he's sharing all this with the Ninevites. But I think that where this isn't a parallel for us as those who live in the new covenant, those who follow Jesus, those that know who Jesus is, we know what Jesus has done. That's not an exact parallel. But we on this side of the cross can have a smile on our face as we preach the gospel that there is hope in the one that paid for us, gave his own life. He died in our place. He rose from the grave to new life that we, when we place our faith, our trust, and our whole life in him, might have eternal life. And that starts from the day that we give our lives to Jesus. That judgment can only be averted because somebody paid for judgment. Friends, this is incredible. This is an incredible story that we read about here in Jonah Jonah is a man who's discovering how deeply he needs mercy and grace himself and how great of a messenger he could become if that was actually his message. And I, I feel the need to encourage you. I want to encourage you that if you feel disqualified, if you feel like, man, I haven't lived my life the way I could have or should have, the things that I should have done the ways that I should have done it. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like all of your failures disqualified you from carrying and conveying the message that God wants to bring through your life. And I would tell you the opposite is true. The only way that God can't use us is if we choose to look at our failures as a disqualification. If you and I choose to look at our failures in the hands of a Redeemer as an actual qualification because of what He did, not because of what we did, but because of what he did and what he'll do when we put our life in his hands. If we choose to see God that way, we will be a great messenger, capable, a capable counselor in the hands of the Lord, useful vessels for his glory and for his purposes. Why? Because it is not about us. It is about the glorious one, the majestic one, the creator of heaven and earth, the only God one worthy of worship, who gave his, own, he gave his only son so that we might have what we could never earn and what we do not deserve. The message of the gospel is foolishness to those who consider themselves wise, but it is the power of God unto salvation for those that respond and receive. This is what we see, and I, I want to encourage you to receive Greater mercy from God. Don't just say to me, Ben, I'm a Christian, I know that. Know it deeper than you've ever known it. How do you do that? God, I want to receive your mercy and a revelation of your mercy in a deeper way. Let's ask the Lord for that. There, there's, no, there's, there's no staying where we are. Stagnation is not an option. 
It causes us to look internal. It causes us to pick other people apart. God wants to bring us deeper and deeper and deeper into his mercy and in his love so that he can make us more useful in his hands. That's the way that this works. I know that you feel the same way and every year goes by and as you draw near to the Lord, you sense that the Lord continues to touch your heart and give you a revelation of just how wonderful he is. We will forever be trying to comprehend the infinite quality and virtue and value of our God. He is incomprehensible. His love is without measure. It's without limitation. His mercies are new every morning, and we need them. And for us to stop where we are as though we know something and consider it knowledge, He is bringing us into depths. We are growing from grace to grace, from faith to faith. I would tell you that Jonah got stuck. I would tell you that Jonah was comfortable with his position, but God wasn't comfortable with his heart. And so he continued to do what he always does. I want my prophet. I want my messenger. Listen, I want my son. I want my daughter to have a greater understanding of who I am because it's who I want them to be. That's what God's doing. That's what God does. It's beautiful that he, we get to share in his holiness because of sanctification. And that's the work that God is about in our lives, I believe, right here and right now. Now, I want to share with you some words that I have, and one of them is probably just in keeping with the message that I've already shared with you. And I saw this vision. I had a picture during worship where someone was walking through this big wheat field, and the wheat was, was up to full maturity. The crop is fully mature. It's ready for harvest. And the person that was walking through the field, I don't know how to explain it, I just want you to see it. They're walking through and they're just sort of making their way through the fully mature crop. It's, just, it's this field that is just ready to be harvested. It's, it's just ripe for the picking. It's ready and the person's just moving through the harvest field trying to get somewhere. They're trying to get to where they, they need to go. And as I'm watching this person just move through the field, they weren't even concerned about the harvest. They were in the field And they had no connection to the harvest. They had no connection to what they were moving out of the way. And and I felt like the Lord put this in my heart. Where Jesus would look at the disciples and say, look out into the harvest. The fields are white. I felt like what the Lord was putting in my heart for us. And even in this message that we're talking about in Jonah chapter 3. Is that sometimes we are pushing our way through people. That's the harvest field. We're pushing our way through the people that are all around us. And we have a mentality and we have a mindset sometimes that people don't want to hear what we have to say, that people don't want to know what we know. And we wouldn't say it that way. We would say, oh, I don't don't know if I believe that. I just don't know where everybody's at. Well, here's what we can know. I believe the Lord is sharing something with us today. And he is saying that the fields are white for the harvest. The laborers are few. He said that to his direct disciples, those that that went to bed right in his own presence, those that woke up and had breakfast with him, he looked them in the face and said, you guys are missing it, that the people that are all around are white for the harvest. But it starts with how you see them. And in this vision, I was looking at this person and and they were just trying to get to where they were going. And I pray that that would not be our disposition, that we're just pushing through life and we don't realize that all of the people that are around us 
are the targets that God wants to give us of his love and his affection. Every person has a target on their back. You're not an evangelist, maybe I'm not an evangelist, but something I am is a lover of God, I'm a son of God, you're son or daughter of God, and we get to share the love of God with people. We get to share the testimony of the Lord. We're not disqualified, we're uniquely qualified. I wonder if we can relate to that. Lord, do that in us. Give us your heart. Help us to see people the way that you see them. Help us not to look past people, to not be passive, to not be apathetic, but Lord, to to bring about the encouragement that you've brought in our lives. I had a picture of someone with, um, you had an arm injury, and I saw it on your bicep. And I, I, all I can say is I almost felt like it was a workout injury. And uh, it was in your, I thought it was in your right bicep. It could be your left, but I, what, the picture, I can't remember it now, but I felt like it was in your right arm, and it was from your shoulder to your elbow. And right in this area, you had an injury, and it just has not been healed yet. And so I want to pray over you right now. Father, I thank you in Jesus' mighty name that you would bring about healing to that arm right now. If it's the right arm, just bring healing. And the left, Lord, just, we, we pray that you would release the gift of healing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would release your anointing in the room as, as they're praying right now. And I just sense you pray over that. Just pray over that. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. I also saw a picture of somebody that is experiencing serious fatigue it's like a sleepiness. It's a heaviness. Um, your stress level has been quite high, abnormally high. And that's based on past things, not necessarily current things. But the past stress level has been so high, it's brought about this level of fatigue, sleepiness, and heaviness that has been very difficult for you. You just feel like you're supposed to have more energy, and it's almost brought on maybe a level of guilt. And you want to get back to a level of energy and be able to feel the way you felt and do the things that you want to do. I want to pray over you right now. God can restore you physically. He can do that too by unburdening your soul and lifting off that weight that you feel. So Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for anybody that that's for, that you would minister first to their soul, that you would take off the weights that they're carrying. Maybe they're They pick those up or maybe life just stacked up. But I pray that you would take off the weights that they're carrying right now. And I pray that you would unburden their soul and that you would cause fresh freedom to emerge on the inside. And now we pray physically. We ask that the fatigue would lift, the sleepiness, the heaviness would lift, and they would experience a deep rest, like down to the bone, that bone-deep rest. And they they would even experience physical sleep rest that would replenish them so they wake up and you would restore their energy level. Bring them back, Lord. We pray physically that you would bring them back to a place where they would be restored as they once were. Thank you, Lord. I just, um, the last word I had was I, I saw somebody and you were sitting in a chair and you were contemplating going back to school. And you were saying to yourself, is this the right time? Is this the right season? And I wanted to, this is what the Lord put in my heart, that he's putting something new in your heart about being able to reclaim the place that you once desired. God is giving you the desire that you once had and he's causing you, calling you to reclaim the place that you once desired. And part of that is schooling of some kind. 
and you're wondering, can I do it? And you're asking the Lord. You're asking maybe within your family. You're wondering if you're supposed to do that. And I say to you, I felt like the Lord was saying, you're going to reclaim that place of your desire and He's going to provide for you. And so I just pray over you right now. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for your provision. I pray, God, that you would bring everything that is needed in this season of life so the context would be set up properly. And so, Lord, release that to your son or to your daughter right now so that they could do what you desire for them to do and glorify you in the midst of it. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you are doing in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Here is our benediction. As you go, be strengthened by God's word, be filled with God's spirit, be mindful of God's voice, be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. God bless you. The only way God can't use us is to choose to believe we're disqualified because of past failures. On the other hand, if we believe we can receive mercy and then repent, God will qualify us because of what he's done for us. We can become a powerful messenger of the message we've received. Now that is great news. All of us here at Ignite hope you've been blessed and encouraged by today's message, A Message and a Messenger. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for the radio ministry of Ignite Global Radio as Pastor Ben shares the final message in his Jonah, Running from the Heart of God series. Now once again, here he is with an encouragement for us to be disciples and then make disciples. As we look at Jonah chapter 3 today, we find that his previous season being in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights actually was what prepared him to be able to obey the Lord, which is what God originally called him to do. Now, Jonah's not all the way there, and neither are we. We know that when we take a step in the right direction, it doesn't mean everything in our heart is perfect. It doesn't mean all of our repentance has already happened. What it does mean, though, is that step by step, God continues to work with us But he does something special in our hearts so that we can actually be more useful to him. The story of Jonah, as we continue to root for this guy, we're also rooting for ourselves, knowing that we're not just people that carry a message. Jesus has not just called us to be people that say the right thing to the right person in order to get the result. Jesus has called us to first be disciples and then make disciples. Jesus changes us with the gospel And then he calls us to convey the gospel, which has changed our life. And that's what we're reading about in Jonah. It's what we find is that God is deeply concerned about the condition of his heart. And he calls him to then extend the grace that he's given to him, to a people that he doesn't want to give it to. We read about how Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And this is Jonah's opportunity to do that very thing. And you and I are going to have those same opportunities all the time. It probably looks different, but it's still the same principle. God is pressing us into the likeness of Jesus by giving us opportunities to grow and to go with him into these places where we would pray for people, where we would pray for our enemies, and where we would do to others as we would have them do to us. Even if they never treat us the way that they should, we can learn to move in an opposite spirit and give to them what Jesus has given to us.
You've been listening to Ignite Global Radio, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon, the lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. As you can tell, he has a passion for bringing Jesus to people and people to Jesus. To purchase either of his books, Hearing God, or Prophesy, Releasing God's Voice, just go to our website, igniteglobalradio.org, and click on the Books button. For Pastor Ben and the entire staff here at Ignite, thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for the final message in a series through the book of Jonah, Running from the Heart of God. Ignite is a ministry of Northwest Foursquare Church.